Here's a short preview of part one of the season finale. You know, you and I are just sitting here talking about church on a podcast about grief, serious situations. Like we were the, we were, if you asked two people, okay, who are the two wildest dudes in country music the last 20 years? I don't think anybody would pause. They would go, oh, and and we haven't even drank in 18 years. Yeah. Those two years out of the 20 were good enough. Those two out of the 20 were like, man, those are legendary. We're the guys that still goof around. We've always been that way, right? Like a lot of people wouldn't know this, but like for you to have this set up and these microphones sitting here and these cameras rolling and to be doing this and recording Scott Hamilton and Sonia Isaacs and Al Andrews and just interviewing people about grief and about the difficulties that you've gone through. If they knew your personality, this is not you. And you're not trying to like- I can almost feel that this is not scripted. Like there's no grand plan. This is just, this is definitely adverse to my personality, yet one of the most obvious things I've ever had to do. Welcome to the Good Grief, Good God Show, part one of the season finale, hosted by Brad Warren of the Warren Brothers. For today's episode, Brad welcomes his brother, Brett Warren. Brad and Brett grew up in Tampa, Florida. They moved to Nashville in 1995. Soon thereafter, they were signed by RCA's sister label, B&A Records. Over the next 10 years, they released four records and were nominated for six CMA awards. In 2004, CMT signed the brothers to their own reality TV series, Barely Famous, The Warren Brothers. In 2006, Brad and Brett got their first big songwriting break with Faith Hill's The Lucky One. In 2007, Tim McGraw performed If You're Reading This, a song co-written by the brothers and McGraw at the 2007 ACM Awards. Following year, Martina McBride released two Warren Brother co-writes from her 2007 album, Waking Up Laughing. Fast forward to today, the brothers have written 15 top 10 songs, including nine number ones. They've won 15 BMI Awards and Emmy and have been nominated for a Grammy. And that's the Warren Brothers. I'm producer Matt Pimento. Even though we won't be releasing any new episodes until early next year, we will be active on social media. So don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And for the most up-to-date information, make sure to visit goodgriefgoodgodshow.com. So this is where I usually toss to Brad and his guests, but we're going to do something a little different this time. Brad asked me to read the following message about his brother. What can I say about my brother? We've literally shared a 30-year career. He might be the best human being I know, and when the shit hits the fan, you must definitely want him on your team. We don't agree upon everything. That would make for a really boring conversation, but we have shared more of the same life experience than any other two people I know. It's crazy how much Brett and I feel the same thing at the same time so often. It's probably how we've written 2,500 songs together, or maybe it's the 2,500 songs that has made us so close. Either way, this was a unique experience for me, and I'm grateful for my brother for so many things. It's difficult for me to express. For part one of the season finale, Brett and I had a cozy and at times funny conversation about music, faith, family, friends, and the podcast. For part two coming out on Tuesday, September 19, we waste no time diving into grief and the loss of Sage. Part two was extremely difficult in places, and you'll know what I'm referring to when you see it. With that said, Michelle and I promised each other when we started the show that we would be authentic with raw and honest conversation, no matter what. And this one is definitely raw and authentic, signed Brett. On the behalf of Brad's wife, Michelle, segment producer and guest booker, Lisa Bolt, thank you for tuning in. The season finale of the Good Grief, Good God show is brought to loving memory of Sage Warren and Brad and Brett's father, Harold Warren.
You guys got, I mean, it's a pretty full setup here. It's a real deal. Matt Pivato. Kind of like the, we're kind of like the, we're kind of like the Dickerson Road version of Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan. Oh, if only, like, right? Barely is smart. If only. No one's watching us. That would be. Right now, but. It's, oh, it's a kind of a mix between that and like Kramer on Seinfeld when he got the, <laughs> the set of the Mike Sullivan show. Hey, well, no, scoot down, scoot down. <laughs> That's one of my favorite episodes. So, Jerry, you live in New York. What's that like? <laughs> Go to commercial and he stops and starts eating something. Cindy and mom were here last week, but I wasn't. And they came in, in here and sat down and interviewed each other. And filmed it on their cell phones? They didn't film it. I mean, oh. they just took a picture of it. Yeah, those cigars are like concrete by now. In fact, we're never getting new cigars. Those are going to stay. There's a little, uh, it's like a see-through glass cigar box. And you buy a packet. It's like, it looks like a, it's like jelly, mm -hmm. but it's moisture. Yeah, yeah, you those. just throw it in those there. Those are my humidor. Man, this, it'll come back to life. You can That'll come back. Yeah, I don't love these. They're they're a little they're a little uh, Maduro for me. Dark. I don't I don't have much of an idea about cigars. I like them all. Yeah, I like them all pretty good. I mean, can you see my poison ivy on? So you get for doing your own yard work. Do you know uh, Lauren Hungate? Yeah. So her dad lives in my neighborhood, and he thinks me and Brad are the only two songwriters besides her, and he thinks we wrote "Live Like You're Dying" everything. Well, don't tell him that we didn't. So he, so I'm out weed eating my fence line, yeah. and he's like. He pulls up, and he's like, hey, hey, Lee Hungate. His name's not Hungate. That's her married name, but I right, call him right. Lee Hungate. Right. <laughs> he's like, hey, Lee Hungate. I'm like, oh, hey, how are you doing? He goes, he looks super confused. He goes, you, why are you, why are you weedying? And I was like, <laughs> my weeds are growing up. Did you do your own yard work? And I said, yeah. I said, it's just, I do it for exercise. He's like, oh. People think you're way richer than you so are, I, no, I told and they he, don't know how much you love working in the yard. His, his daughter said, he thinks that there's people feeding you grapes by the pool. <laughs> don't tell him any differently. I was like, hey, I don't have a really problem. have a little more of the dad gene, like uh, the like dad fixed everything himself. You kind of, like, you build a whole fence around your forehead. That's a lot. Like, That's I was the only thing I'm done. <laughs> you do well your own yard, though. and like It's not that hard. Do you fix that mower? Like, when no. the mower breaks down, but no. what do you do? How do you, what do you have a There's trailer? a guy that comes around and he services it. Or I have a trailer. I put it up and take it to Dickerson Lawn Care. See, that's the thing. I never, I'm like, I don't have a trailer. He did. He built the whole fence, which is pretty impressive. You know what was really the most impressive thing was pushing pay when I had done the math in my head and ordered $9,800 worth of lumber to be dropped in my yard. I was like, well, it's on now. <laughs> I better know what I'm doing. I was like, yeah. Once I pushed you things, I was like, always... right, now I was like, now the cheapo set in on me. And I was like, I'm building this fence. You could always hire Clay Quattlewall to come do the lumber. It might have uh, taken it, a minute, but it, yeah, you, you could have got I started with the first section right up by my, where the gate opens, you know, it goes in the backyard. It was like a whole section. I looked at it and I was like, okay, this looks great. But you put on the outside of your fence, you put the boards up and on the outside of the post, you put that extra board that goes over where you put the nails in so they don't bow out. Well, I put it on the inside on accident. And Ava goes, why'd you put it on backwards? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't. I just wanted mom to see what it would look like from the other side. <laughs> so did you have and to had, redo all that? Had, but I'd take all the front boards off. I mean, it was like. How many? That's a lot. Took a second. It's a couple hours worth. That's a lot. But I was glad I did it because it looks cool. All right, I'm going to start with a quote that I, I got for you. And, and Is there get, someone that comes in and goes. No. He's already filming all this. That's why you got to be careful. Once you sit down. I would, I would prefer if someone gave me that. Can you give Can you give breath? I need like the little thing. I'm kind of in show business. <laughs> I'm kind of. I start being careful what I said when I was sitting down because not only if I haven't thought of it to tell him to not do it, he's he's putting it on. I've said some things on live mics where you're like, ooh. <laughs> I got a long quote for you. I know you love C.S. Lewis. So do I. So I wrote uh, this one down. We can ignore even pleasure, 
but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. Anyway, that's a short quote on C.S. Lewis. I love it. That I love says, it. Pain is God's megaphone. So I looked it up and it was a much longer one. I thought that's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's the awesome. Man. He's the man. But um, I mean, we'll get to all the all the grief stuff later. I kind of wanted one of the things I wanted to talk about was like our um I give the I give the our church a little bit of a hard time, you know, just because yeah. we were raised up. It's, it's all good fine. I love the they gave people. us a they, lot of fodder. Gave us a lot of fodder. Yeah, we've, we've written a lot of songs based on that. But it's all, there's always two perspectives. I kind of like to get your perspective on the fundamentality. Is that a, even a word? The fundamentality. Fundamentalism. Of, the fundamentalism, but the the, the, the way that we were, um, and we can get to all this stuff. And one of my problems it, with it is, and it's probably my problem isn't my problem. My problem is my problem with the problem. You know that one? Yep. Yeah, we, we talk about that. But the uh, the the lack of willingness to change. We've got this this thing, these little three things: a sinner's prayer and these things that go in line and line. And we everyone else is out of line, and these things are the only thing that's important. And we haven't moved from them or grown or learned beyond them in forty years. So, uh, as much as the everyone's hearts are in the right place and directed to the right thing, it has always bothered me that we've have, have are narrow. I was wondering, just what's your perspective? You mean, I mean, on how we grew up? The church that our mother still attends, which is amazing. I just, it's, it hasn't changed much. And maybe that's good. I mean, I think, you know, we, we always joke around and say that your strengths are your weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of my strengths is I don't get that emotionally attached. I, I don't think I got as attached to that. Yeah. As, say, maybe you and Cindy and Wendy, or, or it didn't affect me. You didn't me get as, as pissed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's not because I was wiser. Or like I just was, I mean, literally <laughs> my goal in life until probably six months ago was to just make someone laugh and disrupt a professional setting. Like that's pretty much like. It's kind of what we do I, for I, a living. It's kind of what we do for a living. I kind of found a job that does. So, I mean, I mean, I remember memorizing people's prayer languages so I could repeat them later. I'd say, name me somebody in the church and I could tell you what their prayer language sounded like. If God is saying something to them through a prayer language, he's saying the same sentence for 17 years. But, <laughs> um, but yeah. so, I, I mean, I kind of fooled around about it. I, I knew there was a great heart. I always had a good relationship with church. I liked it. I got it. Yeah. I, I, I still go to church. I think the congregation of saints is needed. It's cool. But I don't, I'm not like, this is where I go to church. I'm going here no matter what. Everything they say is truth. This preacher is my preacher. You know, I don't get, If I leave, I'm in If I sin. leave, I'm not going... Yeah, I... Because of the way we grew up and because of us, you know, going out in the world and becoming alcoholics and having to find God on our own, I don't know. I just... I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I feel like I wear religion like a loose garment. I don't wear life like a loose garment yet, but I do feel like I wear religion like it. I don't know if that's... And sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. No, I think it's but, good. But the fundamentalism of it, you know, I mean, there's... Hey, I mean... There's teachers that sell drugs to their high school students, but we still need teachers, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so if we concentrate on just the teachers that sell drugs to their students, I so I'm kind of trying to see the, we grew up very critical. Yeah. And, and I mastered that, you know, our yeah. family was pretty critical, but so I, I don't know, I'm trying, I'm trying to see the good in everything. And if I see something bad, just sort of carve it off. I've found that God is a lot more simple than we made him. Yeah. And he's a lot bigger. Yeah, and a lot more, simple, more, more loving and graceful, but he is holy, and you know, he yeah, he's not to be messed with. You should fear him, like we fear dad. Like we said, man, we man, we were afraid of our dad. Like not that he was going to beat us, but we were afraid of him. It was a healthy yeah. fear. Yeah, like he meant what he said, 
and he was just and a good dude, but like we were afraid of him. Yeah. Some people aren't, I don't think my kids are <clears throat> afraid of me. I think they should be more, but maybe they are. But Jude said the other day that he was afraid of me. He goes, not in a bad way, but like I, I'm, I know that if I, like if he said, if, if I had a party here and you came home and it was messed up, I would, I would be in trouble. I know that. Like, I'm like, that's good. I want you to have that fear. And our dad, well, we need, we'll get into that later because there's a lot of that. But um, the the uh, the loose garment thing, I think you're correct. You have worn that religious thing like it never got into your crawl so much. No, it was kind of like your job at McDonald's. You just never took it that seriously. I just didn't. It, it, and that's kind I of a did, bad thing sometimes. But. And I got, um, I think I had a little bit more, like we were, you were so young, but we were, I was in high school, you were in junior high, and we're fighting with the music director about, man, I music and playing rock and roll was very important to me. Mm -hmm. I'm in the ninth grade. Yeah, I missed that whole war. You 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 played in the band, but you didn't care. You just sat and played the drums and sang, and I'm fighting with the... No, I think when you guys played the riff, to da, you played cocaine. Da, right, da, right. We played da, the riff to cocaine. Therefore, we must have been on cocaine. <laughs> we weren't, but um, yeah, yeah I, I was I was younger than that. Me and John Kozik were, yeah, you know, yeah, playing basketball. Been, there was we, we weren't... So I started the war early, you know, and I got kind of, you know, and it, it became... Uh, yeah, you didn't you didn't get quite as jaded, and I think that's good, honestly. Like when when it comes to your kids, you get a very normal, anxious thing about you do, but you didn't ever do that really with the church. I think that was good because it's not really like you said. You know, some doctors don't do a good job, but we still need doctors. Some teachers are are criminals, but we still need teachers. We do need pastors and preachers. I kind of interested sometimes in what Jesus would would think, what, what he does think. Not, he does have an opinion on what the modern church is, but we'll find out sooner. I think, yeah, I think we'd be we'll really surprised. It's funny because you know, you and I are just sitting here talking about church on a podcast about grief, serious situations, and like we were the we were. If you ask two people, okay, who are the two wildest dudes in country music the last twenty years? I don't think anybody would pause. They would go, oh, and, that, and we haven't even drank in eighteen years. Yeah, those but two years out of the twenty were good. Those enough two to out of the twenty were like, man, those are legendary. We're the guys that still goof around. We've always been that way, right? And yet, in my life, in the weirdest turn of events, like ten of my closest friends are preachers, and I am not the guy. That, I'm not. I don't want to be a deacon. I don't want to be an elder. I don't want to preach. I don't want to sing in church. I played B3 organ in the church because they asked me because I think it's fun. And there's a guy in a choir that sings like uh, the guy from Trash Test Dummy. So I crank his voice and the girl drummer and I, <laughs> yeah. I'm in my own headphones. Yeah. I'm like, me and God yeah, have a deal. I'm like, bed. God, you know I'm doing this just for fun. But I have these preachers in my life and they all say the same thing. I've never left the clergy because of heathens. No one's ever left the clergy. Right. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I think I think it's the reason why the preachers like you too. It, I, I bring, you know, I asked my preacher, hey man, have you ever had diarrhea and just like been in the middle of a sermon and like really been struggling to not have to go to the bath? I mean, I just asked them real quick and they're like, they kind of break out of this, oh, I don't have to be preacher guy. I can be myself yeah. in front of him. Yeah. And so Yeah, like you respect the <laughs> office, but you don't have too much respect for the office. And you're not dude. like having a special dinner for him because no. he's the pastor. And and they know you love Jesus, but you're not full of shit. There's it's a real You remember when we first got signed and people would say, like, oh, I I'm not treating them different. They thought about it so much that they actually were going yeah. out of their by way saying to, that, by saying that yeah. they're actually trying to not treat you differently. Right. Well, people kiss their butt because they're on CMT, and then people are like, Well, I'm not gonna treat them different, and they treat it different. I just it doesn't affect me. 
Yeah. And I think they, they kind of see that as funny. Um, I, I don't know why I said that other than it's just funny. No, no, that- no. But it is interesting. Why, the, the friends you come up with, we have a crazy, crazy group of friends. Of friends. Yes. Your own and my own and then ours together are um, from Strauss Zelnick, who's the CEO of all of media in the whole world, uh, is somehow one of our best friends to, Crazy. you know, Jeff McDonald, who was our old bass player. and uh, Jealous of Jeff. Jealous of Jeff, man. He's, you know, who's in, in a way got the, the ultimate life that we love because he's just very simple and loves God in his life. And, and we have a very interesting swath of friends. But, and I kind of give like dad the credit for that. Um, as we were growing up in the fundamentalism, our dad was pretty, uh, you're more like him. I wanted to be like. I, just, I, just, I think you're more like. I said, really? Yeah, yeah maybe I said yes. Maybe I yeah, am. Yeah, yeah. Um, How am I more like in him? In certain ways, I think it's just different. Yeah, like you're more like him in the outward. My hands like, look like him. I whistle when I'm working. And you you like to fix your own stuff. Other than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's some. <laughs> you fix things like him. Like uh, you you would opt to. Man, I don't I don't fix anything. I just I don't. I'm afraid I'm going to break it. If you asked my wife if I was a fixer, she'd be like, no. <laughs> you're not a fixer, but you're more of a fixer than me. Like, I bird hunt because they hand us the shotgun, and I shot a lot of birds for a guy that can't shoot. <laughs> but I don't, I'm not like, and I like the idea of hunting. I think it would be, if I was in the days and riding a bareback on a horse with a spear, I think I would have been awesome at it. But I'm You just, could go there when you need to. I could go there if we I need to. We grew up just don't. five feet from the Blooms, the most amazing Jewish family that's still our best, some of our best friends, we love them. Great They're people, amazing. yeah. They're every, every time I talk about politics with someone, I'm like, my parents were like right-handed, blue-eyed, conservative Republicans from Tennessee. And the Blooms were like left-handed, dark hair, dark eyes, Jewish people from Miami that owned a clothing store. And they got along great. They loved They're each other. They're best friends. I mean, and they knew they disagreed. And, and But there was a side of us that always saw Mr. Bloom hiring somebody to sweep his front porch. We were like, we I'm going to be that guy. We want to be a little bit more like Mr. Bloom than we do dad. And then and their yet, son is like chopping his own firewood. Yeah, you know, he's and, a lawyer. And we we, we, the other we side all of the needed fence. each other. We yeah, all needed, we each, all needed other. each other. But I absolutely probably get my yard and done and house clean because of the Blooms. That was great. I'm like, yeah, that looks fun. I'm going to, we're going to get that. I do like the smell of a garage. You walk in my garage, there's like a, there's a motorcycle, zero turn and a push mower. It just kind of smells like oil and dirt. It's kind of nice. Something about a motorcycle in a garage that to me, that makes everything okay. Somewhere around August every year, I'm like, Brad has it right. I'm just going to hire a dude to mow this grass. Please don't know how to mow a yard because we never had a lawnmower. I actually said out loud to myself, as I get older, this is kind of funny. It's just like brother talk because we're like supposed to be talking about specific things, but we talk about everything every day. I, I like say things out loud to myself when I'm by myself. Do you ever do that now? Like you just sit there and you, I just go, well, I'm, I'm weed eating this fence line around this beautiful horse fence that I built in this big field. And I'm like, this is so pretty. And I then now I'm weed eating it and it's hot. And now I'm like, <sighs> Too much is given, much is required. Like, I said it out loud. You're turning to mom. I know. I'm like, oh, my gosh. No, I said it out loud. I'm, like, quoting scripture to myself to not be, like, lazy. And I was like, it's wow. Well, that is kind of like that. You you said it perfectly once, but you said, I never thought about money ever until I had some. Never and then it worried the living it. crap out of you. Never worried about money. Then I had some, and I sat on the pile and just, like, freaked out. You know how much you need, right? Just a little more. Just a little more. I mean, it's, we have some really actually rich friends. And then we're, you know, we're on that, we're on the long, slow climb to the middle and we're doing great and everything's good. And then we have some friends that never made any. And I don't, I don't find the peace of mind scale, which I'm, I'm very specific about what I want these days. I want peace. I want peace. Um, but I don't find the people that have more to necessarily have 
definitely don't have more peace than the people that have none. I'm not saying that I want to have none. I'm just saying it isn't the, it isn't the Jim Carrey's quote about, I wish everyone could be rich and famous right. so that they could see it wasn't the point. It's really great because we haven't been rich and famous, but we've been close enough to get a smell. <laughs> but the, the point is, it's not that it's not great and the people aren't good. It's that they don't have it any easier than anyone else. They well, we hurt. suffer from the human condition. So what I really, if I you always say like what you want and, and the hardest prayer in the world is thy will. Yeah. Like it really is the heart of it because it's really not your will. And that's scary. If you're really being honest, that's scary. I give you credit for that all the time. But, that's a good quote. But, but really and truly what we want is we want to have the feeling that the guy that doesn't have much, cause he doesn't have much to lose. Yeah. We want to have that loose garment, peaceful feeling yet. We still kind of want to have the stuff. <laughs> so it's like, wait a second. I want to be comfortable and have all these things, but then they start to weigh me down. I want to feel like this guy, but I want to have the things that the, this guy has everybody kind of so we have a common friend that people out there may or may not know but the producer jay joyce is a great friend of ours he's that rare everybody wants to be jay financially because he does not care about money but he's rich <laughs> you know what I mean? exactly. it's and so you think about now we knew him before he was as you know i mean i think he, he probably joyce doesn't even know what an impact he's had on us with being like how do i want to spend my day i just want to i want to make music that's great i want to make yeah. music with people i think are great we should probably give Jay a shout out. He's been very influential. Everyone wants to be because he really doesn't care. Doesn't care what you think. Doesn't care about money. And he's loaded and everybody thinks he's the coolest guy in Nashville. <laughs> but and if everybody's going left, he's like, it's crowded over there. Let's go right. Like, sonically. Whatever. Or if he's going right anyway and people start going left, he just keeps going right. I mean, yeah. whatever. Yeah, he's. it's a very, uh, very There's, unique thing. It's Jay. And then we've mentioned people of our life. Viva. I remember you saying, gosh, I just want to be comfortable on my own skin, which I think you're, you are, I think you've, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, but more than, you that. don't want to have to go through what you have to go through to get the comfort in your own skin, but you definitely have become for you. Like a lot of people wouldn't know this, but like for you to have this set up and these microphones sitting here and these cameras rolling and to be doing this and recording Scott Hamilton and, you know, Sonia Isaacs and Al Andrews and just interviewing people about grief and, about the difficulties that you've gone through is a big thing. If they knew your personality, this is not you. And you're not trying to like. I can almost feel that you could feel that this is not um, scripted. Like there's no grand plan. This is just, this is definitely adverse to my personality. Yet one of the most obvious things I've ever had to do. But yeah. Intentional is, without a selfish goal. Yeah. Yeah. A loose garment comes at a greater cost for some people than others. Uh, you know, I didn't. I wouldn't want this, but um, truth is loss of what I've lost being what it is. I am a happier person in general, even now. Now I have more pain than I had when before. I mean, there, there, you know, I could, I could think, take, pick a moment and go there. It's funny. You asked me if I talked out loud, I talked to Sage like out loud mm -hmm. when I'm working out. It's kind of strange and whatever, but, but I have found God. Literally mm -hmm. found him. Not so much like um, I'm still. I question everything. I'm gonna question everything. God is God is strong enough to handle my questions. He's cool. He's good with my questions. So I'm gonna. I I question everything, and I will. But my more than like I, I've said it before, probably on here. But if you looked at me or my life from thirty thousand feet, it wouldn't look that differently. I live in the same place. I'm mm -hmm. married to the same person. I do the same thing for a living. But if you're right here or you are in here, more like, 
It's completely different because the things that were a chore before, I'm now grateful for. The things I was scared of now, I, I embrace and welcome. I always say you and I have been sitting, standing in a hallway for about three quarters of our life holding guitar cases. A, a, any kind of hallway, a jetway, an elevator. I mean, we have been standing holding guitar cases for a lot of our life. It would be funny to see how many hours. It'd be like a, thousands of hours. Grateful for that now, aren't you? Well, <laughs> here's the funny thing. I always said, how long are we going to have to do this? You know, just joking. Right. How are we going to have to do this? And now I say, how long are we going to get to do this? I mean, I think we're better at it than we've ever been. It's more fun than it's ever been. I look forward. I'm never more comfortable than when we're sitting in the round of that circle uh, at the Bluebird. Not even when I'm asleep am I as comfortable as when we're sitting at that Bluebird. It's weird because that is the one, that is the one spot where, and you know, Life is a process. We're all growing. We've all grown. Like, well, there's so many subjects to jump on, but just the 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 death of our father kind of changed our family. But the death of Sage like really changed us, like yeah. for the better. Not that it was good that it happened, right? But it was terrible. Which I'll read this quote. It just it slays me. But I'll, I'll wait in a second and read it to you. But so it's like this terrible thing that happens, but we all get better. But we're still human. We're still in the process. Until we get to heaven, we're still going to be human. I might be 90 years old laying on my deathbed worried about what my great-grandson's going to do for a living. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, unfortunately, that's kind of part of the cross that our family bears. A lot of people probably bear it. But we're just, I just think we're, we've are we we've gotten better at it. And when I'm sitting on stage, the sec, I mean, it could be like anxiety. We went and played on, when we played on death row. Like I just had had a day that was a little, you know, some days are more anxious than others for no reason. I mean, if you could, if you knew the reason, you might be able to deal with it better. And then you walk to the first gate of security in the prison and you walk to the second. Now you're on the inside. Then you go through another gate and then you go into the death row section. And I got to tell you, I was like, man, it's going to take a lot for me to get out of here. I'm kind of claustrophobic anyway. The ceilings got lower. Everything's concrete. <laughs> we walked in. Just like I saw the microphones and the chairs and set my guitar up and it kind of went down a little bit. And the second we picked up the guitars and started playing, you could have set up a cot and I could have slept in there. I just, it just goes away. And I think that's a lot of muscle memory, a lot of years of comfortable place where, you know, Hey, we've mastered that not mastered. Cause there's guys that are way better singers, performers, players. But when we're in that moment, it's like, nah, we're, we're pretty comfortable what we can do. Even if you don't like what you're hearing, We've mastered we like what, what we're, we're playing. <laughs> right. We've mastered what we're doing. It's our, so it's funny how it lines up. Your perspective is different because the gigging, we went from always wanting to play live and be rock stars. And then we wrote hit songs. It was great. And then our friend, Mike Severson, started a company called Songwriter City. And he starts calling us to do gigs what, four or five years ago. We're, four, we're doing five. a few gigs, whatever. And as, you know, God knows what he's doing if we just take our hands off the wheel because as we've started to just change things in our life and have different schedules and calendars, all of a sudden this, this work has come in the songwriter city and we play these shows all the time. And I never am in the middle of that thing without being going, this is great. I'm on a roller coaster or I'm driving a motorcycle. It's that, that fun to me. And we get to play and I don't really care what the, the actually it's fun to play for a group of lawyers, which we found too. It's crazy. <laughs> Smaller the crowd, bigger the paycheck or whatever <laughs> it is. Not playing a show, getting paid for it, having people know your songs, like what you're doing, and you never worry how many tickets do we sell, is the radio station playing us? It's like, really, God's blessed us with the best of all the world. Totally. Like, I wouldn't change it for anything. I have a friend so in Florida. Great. I went to I went to a, a, a Rays game with Dave Walker the other night, and he was yeah. telling oh. about putting a show on here. And I said, Dave, I got to be honest. 
I don't think any these places can afford us now. <laughs> we don't sell tickets. We we play for. We bring you an experience, and there's a fee. Yeah, there's a fee. <laughs> there's you want to do it? It's not going to. I mean, it's going to be like a thousand dollars a ticket for these people. But anyway, I was. And like, we're this not is- doing this as a commercial, but you can contact Songwriter City Point. <laughs> what did you? What was your worst part of like playing clubs and stuff? What was the worst part of all that? Driving into the parking lot, seeing nine cars in the parking lot when it held four hundred. <laughs> I just told Michelle that the other day. Oh, it's the worst. The worst. We don't do ever. that now. You, you play, yeah, or you're on tour, Billy. Playing Billy Bob's with 200 people. I played to 200 people a lot. It's not bad. And Billy Bob's is bad. <laughs> Billy Bob's that holds 3,000 people. Yeah. Whatever. So anyway, it's like, you know, God doing for you what you can't do for yourself. It is perspective. But if we can take that to everything. So what really sucks in my life? Because before what sucked was oh, too much travel. I love to travel now. Mm. Uh, well, I didn't like flying because we had a terrible plane flight when we were <clears throat> coming up and we thought we were going to crash and we'd been scared of flying. I don't care. doesn't bother me at all now. What what it took to get this perspective, I would just love to be able to bottle that and go back, give it to 25-year-old Brad, mm-hmm. maybe 30-year-old Brad. Let me learn a few lessons, but get out of this earlier. Certainly early sober Brad, but give it to my children, give it to your children, mm-hmm. give it to my nieces and nephews who I adore uh, and their children so that they could I live. I think you are bottling it and you are giving it back. This is this is what this is doing. I mean, it's, it's a process. We... We yeah. always talk about we want our kids to have the grit we have, yeah. but we don't want to have to go through the crap we had to go through to get it. That's part of it, is yeah. going through it. I mean, if you don't, if you don't do all the work, it's to pay off the same. As Jordan Peterson says, like the struggle and and having doing something difficult and pushing yourself is that that's what brings joy and meaning. If they just if you could bottle it and hand it to somebody, I mean, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, your kids will not appreciate the money you hand down to them. Like we want to save money and leave money for our kids. The reality is they will only appreciate what they made for themselves. I've told them that too. I'm like, you're not going to enjoy this, but I'm going to set it up as best I can, but you will only really appreciate what you've earned. And, and, and we're, as my daughter, Ava asked me, dad, how much am I getting when you die? That's what she said. (laughs) She said, dad, I'm not being morbid, but when when you die, how much, what's the number? What am I, what am I getting when you die? (laughs) She also has one of my and I said, my goal is for me and your mom to spend all of it so you get nothing. She's like, oh. What is her quote about, I can't wait till the kids I haven't had yet move out of the house? She said, uh, well, she said, <laughs> she said, oh my gosh, I can't wait till my future kids are out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make a more Warren statement than that. That we, wraps it all up in one month. Living in She's the moment. She's so funny. Is, oh, I love her. Well, you oh. talk about, my wife says I'm rehearsing my trials all the time. I mean, like that well, is that's a 20 year down the road or, that or is more. The, that is the best rehearsing of your trials before. I haven't even had oh. these kids yet, but I can't wait till they move out. I mean, <laughs> What do we say to the Warrens? We just, we can't wait to just hurry up and climb in the box. Climb in that Hurry up, box. get it all done. I'm reading Jessica Willis Fisher's book right now. She was, we we did a podcast. Crazy story. I can't wait to listen to it. So listen to her. It's unbelievably articulate. It's good. And then I've read, um, these are extremes, by the way, these books. I read Educated and Hillbilly Elegy, which is, they're all different. But you know, I don't know if it's every family, but I notice um, similarities not in the not in the bad unhealthy ways, but that kind of like um, dad is the dictator. No matter what he says, it's good. You respect him no matter what. And he can first of all, a dad can yell, and the dad what? But all then then all of a sudden the dad can hit. Then all of a sudden the dad can rape. Then all of a sudden, you know what I mean? It's a slippery slope. How do you find any of that stuff in um, any of the danger and how we've set up the hierarchy where we grew up? Our dad was an amazing man. 
loved everything about him. And, and actually the people at our church, I love them. So our dad wasn't the problem, but the way things were set up and that high, if our dad was an amazing man, he could have gotten away with it because of kind of how we were, we weren't homeschooled and we weren't home churched, but it's a slippery slope kind of in the, in the, um, like, I'm so thankful that we had a great dad because if he had been a beater or whatever, he would have gotten away with it in our church. I think, you know, there's like buzzwords nowadays, like patriarchy and hierarchy and all that. I think God sets up an order mm-hmm. and it's it's him. And then he sets up all humans are equal, all equal completely. He doesn't yeah. see them different, but he does set up an order. Right. Like, I don't think he thinks that the sun is any more important than the earth, but there is an order in where it sits, right. correct? So... So God, all people are created equal, but God, when it comes to the family, he puts the father at the top, not as a, you know, dictator, oppressor, but a protector and the leader. And it's like when, if if we went to war with somebody and we're all going down, would you want to have Cole and Vaughn fighting for you or, or Ava and Lily, like fist fighting in the streets? Like, so there's this, there's there's an order that God sets up. And I think man takes that order and abuses it. Like the feminism was started for the right reasons. A woman shouldn't have to sleep with her boss to get a job or move up the company. However, they've now they've knocked it out of order. Now they're trying to misplace. Satan is the father of disorder. So he just disorders it. Yeah. And I think when you're when you're in that flow of what God wants and you're and you're being honest, then a real leader is humble, admits he's wrong, you know, leads Cold. for he empowers people. He you know, you have a company that the guy, whatever he says goes and he hires his cousin to run the joint and he messes up, but everybody's afraid of him and no one tells him, hey, we're losing money over here. They're afraid to talk to him. It's just an unhealthy organization. You still run it like that. Yeah. Where a healthy one's like, there is a leader that sits over the top of it in, a, in the yeah. right, correct, healthy order. With checks and, when and he gets balances, out of order, yeah, with sure. accountability. There's well, something about the, the person escaping all accountability worries me. I'm going to have 10 kids. I'm going to be out on this farm. I'm not saying it's wrong to have kids and not go to school and not go to church and mm. form your own church. And we're going to have the singings. You got her book is, but I feel oh, like I'm, I'm in the middle of her book. So it's fresh on my mind, but I have little recognitions of not our house because our dad was not, but of our upbringings and how the, the, we didn't take the, that we, but that family in our church didn't take the kid to the hospital because God was going to heal it. It was a sin to go to the hospital. And we were on that kick at the moment. The kid dies, dad goes to jail, and we never addressed it in our church. I, I, I'm a little bit, I hold on to that stuff. I know that you don't as much, but. um Odd. I mean, I was, I was like, no, that's wrong. I could, yeah, I but the, felt- the adults never said anything about it being wrong. Yeah. They never sat everyone down and said, hey, this was, we we screwed up. This is not right. We should have. I think the, the whole 70s church movement took, when you take when you take things out of context and out of order, they, a lot of people did use they use yeah. the Bible as a weapon. We're ultimately now, as a father and a husband, I, when I think, okay, what am I doing and why am I doing it? I actually think I'm going to stand in front of God. And he's going to judge what I'm doing. Like I'm going to answer to Him. Like if you just people that don't have God in their marriage, there's always a reason to stay, and you'd always find a reason to leave. But I tell my kids, you marry somebody that loves God and loves you and is committed to the marriage, like no matter what happens, that you're going to, because you both answer to God for it. Like, it's like, no, I'm gonna have to answer to God for for making this work. Because there's always a reason to kind of leave and you, they lose that early stage of butterflies and gooey feelings in the, in the honeymoon phase. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm not in love anymore. So they go find somebody new and get that little phase again. 
then it goes away too. Yeah, it's more important for them to love God than for them to love you because love grows. Like my I love wife my wife to stay with me because she knows she's going to answer to God for it, and I stay with her for the same reason because we've both had reasons and and thoughts to like you could go do it, and I don't understand how people make it without that. But some people, I, do, I can't imagine. Very and, rare. and honestly, that um, I think you fall more in love as time. I definitely love my wife in a way I wasn't capable of early, so it's much deeper and, and stronger. But yeah, if you didn't base it around God, it, it would have been. It have been gone. What is the long time? Because uh, it's it's something to be. Tell me, what is the percentage of people that get divorced that lose their children? It's pretty high. Isn't I it? think it's um, like eighty percent. Is uh, I just talked to somebody about it, then they had looked, but it's like eighty percent of people, 80, 85 percent. So, um, so what do you think that your secret? But that's, that's a, a great pretty, question. That's um, a pretty high percentage. I was talking and, to and for you and Michelle to be closer and to do what you've done with your loss and grief and to do this like that's a pretty big deal well i think one thing we just talked about it i mean god is definitely because the moment like the moment and we'll get to that at some point but the very moment that this happened that i know the i i i felt sage with our dad now i don't know wishful thinking i mean you can call that what you want but i felt that peace therefore I got some, you know, blessed are they that mourn because they'll be comforted, insinuating that maybe if you, like Al Andrews always says, if you're, if you don't mourn, you may not be comforted. You need to mourn to be comforted. Um, that comfort that entered right away, I knew it was God. Therefore I never got, I've not been mad at God this whole time. Um, that is something that's, that is, um, paramount and, and taking and doing this. But, um, we had struggled, Michelle and I had struggled. Well, she went through my alcoholism with me. So she's got, today, she has 18 years experience. At the time, mm -hmm. she had 15 years experience with, of dealing with that. We had some years of dealing with Sage's struggles. Um, and we had become a united front because when, when that's going on with your child, your firstborn child, and you know his heart and it's sweet and you see behavior that doesn't follow how you've raised and does isn't like his brothers and it's just... What do we do? It is very easy to start blaming. You did this and you did that. I mean, hey, I'm the alcoholic. It's bound to be my genetics, whatever. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. she didn't do that to me. And I didn't do that to her. And um, it's not like we never, we always saw an eye on everything, but we were united front dealing with Sage during the problem. And I really believe that that prepared us for what we were going to go through. I think God was preparing us to go through that the addiction with him and become a united front and not a blame thing. And then when it happened, um, it was much easier to maintain a united front because we had, we had already been experiencing this together. And then there are little moments like at, at his funeral when I, you know, we were going to decide on the fly whether I spoke and I've told this before on here, I just walked in and I saw his picture looking right at my eyes. I'm like, Nope, I'm speaking. And I told mm. father Joe, like, I pointed to myself, I'm going to do that. That moment of like, uh, it's kind of on one of my first obedience. You don't want to stand up and cry in front of everybody and tell them, you know, read your story. But I knew that moment was a paramount, uh, was something. And then like starting the dad's group, uh, the night of music that we had in this mm -hmm. room, little things just kind of like, I felt God's blessing on us as people. And we've been, you know, I mean, we're far from perfect. You, you would know, but, um, we have just run straight into the chaos mm -hmm. and it has given us much peace. The, the other people, like, you know, we both have recovery uh, stories and being with people that suffer from the same thing you do is unbelievably healing. Uh, when, that's why we find people that we like because we have the same uh, character flaws or 
And, mm-hmm. and we can either, we can either enhance, here's what's funny. We used to find people drunks and drug addicts because we could drink and party with them. And now we find drunks and drug addicts because we can get sober with them. But still, a lot of my, a lot of our friends are people in recovery because we suffer from the same thing. I like to hang out with those people before, but now I'm with them for a different reason and a different time in their lives because I don't want to be drunk and drug addict. And so I feel like it's, that's kind of a long answer to a short question, but a lot of things led to us being able to uh, cope with this, at least what we felt like was the right way. And um, man, like, like doing this podcast, that's a yes. Like that's God. Well, and my wife going, I'm like, I'm not doing a podcast on grief. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. This is, it's no, it's why let's make everyone uncomfortable for a couple hours, every couple times a month. Let's, and it's funny. Cause everybody I talk to that it's, as soon as this stuff started rolling, people just random people come up to me and be like, man, I saw your brother's podcast. It was awesome. They all watch it and they all love it. And, and there's a buddy of mine is like 65 years old. He's like, man, I haven't, I grew up Christian. My mom gave our last pennies to the televangelist. So I kind of have the Heisman on God, but I've kind of pulled him in closer because it's like, I mean, it's working. You don't, you don't realize who, who it's touching, but they do all say like, they say it like, like it's a lot like to to walk into the fire and talk about hard times grief and to hear Casey Beathard's story i mean that is the worst fear of a parent and then it comes true to that person and you listen to them walk through it and talk about it but i think those are the people that find peace which this this i'll read this quote to you it's kill. lamenting is to express your your deep grief about something you're expressing it mm-hmm. that's lamenting not just i have grief there is grief, but I'm expressing the grief is lamenting, which is what this is. I mean, you talk, you're, like you say, you go into the fire, you and Michelle walk into it, you talk, you start a dad's group. So lamenting keeps us engaged. This is the quotes in the middle, but I had to put, I don't even know who this lady is, but I've heard this. Lamenting keeps us engaged with God. When we lament, we invite God into our pain so that we can know his comfort. And this is the quote. Our faith is not a facade we erect to convince ourselves and others that pain doesn't hurt. (laughs) Rather, it's an oak tree that can withstand the storms of doubt and pain in our lives and grow stronger through them. Because you hear people say, oh, yeah, well, you know, the guy that went to death row, of course he got saved. He was doing that to get out. Or, yeah, of course they're doing that. They, I don't, they lost a child or they, they, they went through something difficult. That's why they found their faith. And to see it firsthand where it's like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand the peace that passes understanding. It's not the peace of everything's good. It's the peace that even when it's not good, I'm okay. That's the peace that passes understanding. I heard, I don't know any, I don't know the logistics of this. I may be, I may be saying some of the stuff wrong, but that country singer, I think it's Granger Smith that lost a child. Yeah, I knew he lost. And somebody sent him a song and he replied back and said, this is great. I would have cut this song a year ago, but. I just, I'm going to do music differently now. I'm going to do a different kind of music. And uh, I think he's starting to preach and people are like, oh, that's okay. He's he's creating a faith that's fake to make it like he doesn't hurt. He's like- But truthfully, that's the most real thing and reason for doing what you're supposed to be doing in a first, you know. And I don't know him, but I guarantee you it's not. He's he's doing it because his his life and his purpose and the way he sees everything has changed. It is different. Like even us writing songs. I mean, there's guys that write, they're always writing down the middle and writing simple songs. And we've written some of the dumbest songs in the world. Um, but when we go into right now, it's, we're trying to, we're trying to write the greatest song ever. We're trying to write the house that built me. We're trying to make a difference. And it's 
Push a button, find a motion. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's simple and it's not like we don't care about money and we're not capitalists and we're not still parents and providers for our families. We are trying to do it, but it is, it feels different. Yeah. It feels so I when I when I heard that about him, I was like, good for him. I know what he's it's I, amazing. people are gonna say what they want. He's not really gonna care. No, no, he it's funny too, because I, you know, everyone hates the sound of their speaking voice. And so I'm where I'm doing a podcast and I'm sort of watching. I'm like, all right, just get over that. Dude, your speaking voice is somebody that they our friend Frankie said, My daughter said to tell you that your voice is soothing. I'm like, I have never heard that. Soothing. <laughs> and I don't even know if it's the best thing or the worst thing. And you went with me and talked to the funeral director's convention. I'm like, that sounds like a real party. Uh, and it actually it was the group of the sweetest people that you've ever been around. Um, you know, imagine what you miss if you don't do that. That that I, I didn't know that about Granger Smith, but I think it's amazing. And um I mm-hmm. don't I can slip back into caring. Oh the yeah. Flesh is we're still there. But as a on a general regular day, and I do I have the same stupid fears, financial security, you gotta make sure I keep them working and, and and like worried. The truth is I just need to do the work and not not do the worry because it doesn't do anything. But on a day when I'm leveled and centered the right way, I don't care. I don't care what anyone thinks. Mm-hmm. I stop trying to be cool. I don't I don't it just doesn't matter to me. And um that is a when you're on this side of trying to be cool when you look back at it like what do you think people like because when you're in your own mind all right i'm gonna try to be cool what's the saying you would you wouldn't think so much about what people thought about you if you realize how How little little they they did did. right yeah when you see someone trying to be cool now because i did it for so long and you're you know you're looking in the car mirror whether you're by the way it doesn't mean that you want your presentation to be you know you're dirty and i quit showering although it could mean that Uh, i mean i didn't shower this morning i woke up my hair was kind of messed up and i put a little water in i felt like dad when michelle looked at my hair and i thought does it look good i was like i don't care i'm 52 and i have i still have some People work really hard on that haircut. This, you shouldn't have said you didn't shower. It looks like you really worked nope, hard I haven't on that. It. I just put some water from the sink and slicked it back a little. But just for a second, I thought, all right, does this look right? And I'm like, wear what you always wear. Slick your old gray hair back and just go in there. But yeah, for a second, you start to care. My friend Dylan Altman said, why do you wear a baseball hat in your podcasting? Because I don't want to do my hair every time. It's not, it's not about that. We're not fixing my Plus, hair. Plus, it's a good look because when you have a subject that's about grief and you have this rock and roll guitar player with tattoos down his arm with a hat on backwards and goatee and long hair you know you're not gonna get a sermon yeah so it's just i don't know there's something about you a that's who you are and b it just it, it is kind of cool that people it, it it's a specific look yeah the, the, i don't have a look if i if what was the time we were sitting in a mexican restaurant and the guy comes oh. up and he goes hey man warren brothers good to see you brad and he's like shaking your hand he's like how's your brother doing you go I don't know. He's right there. <laughs> no one even knows who I am anymore. I look like 90 different dudes. I'm like half Tim Lauer, half John Randall. <laughs> and not as look. talented as either one of oh, them. Oh, that's a great look. And, and if you could take <laughs> half talent of either one of those guys, you'd be yeah, good. That's amazing. I, know if I, if I, I wore black glasses one day and somebody goes, hey, Tim Lauer, look. You know, and then I got these frosty glasses. <laughs> oh, John Randall. <laughs> You're like, damn, I was late on both of those. I mean, I just bought these from, you know, just to put a little bit of vibe on me to think, make it like, just, good, I just want the glasses. world to know I'm not a banker. Right. No. It's- and then this guy from my church came up and he said, "Hey, I like your Jeffrey Dahmer glasses." And I was like, <laughs> "You know, was, those are yellow. That's not fair." And those I was like, are yellow. "Well, this is not the look I was going for, but thank you. Uh, I'll oh, take it." That means that. Well, that means people are noticing you. I think. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny about that. The, the um, you know, guy can use a jackass. It's it's interesting because I um. I'm not defending it. I'm not defending it. I'm what I'm just just doing to try to be super authentically to do this. But I've had. More than one person. I wouldn't say tons of people, but I've had a, quite a few people 
mentioned to me specifically on a text, man, I like um, our friend Chris Stevens is the while well, give you. He said, man, the the mild profanity is a must. It really helps me get through that. Uh, and I'm like, why? And he goes, it just takes the BS layer off that. There's no, he said, when you put that plastic, well, maybe he didn't say this part, but that, you know, the, the plastic sheen of the TV preacher, which by the way, I, I watch them every Sunday when I'm working, I enjoy There's some good preachers. But when you put that up, some people, and when you lead with the, the scripture verse, the chapter and verse, well, it says that I, you've, you've just lost some people. And the fact that I can't do that is going to help somebody. There's something <laughs> uh, cellular with people that grew up Christians that are our age, between 40, 60. And if you didn't grow up like we did, you don't understand it. My wife doesn't even fully understand it. Right, right. We, so she grew up Catholic and they went to church occasionally, They, you know, Christmas, Easter, that kind of thing. But I mean, when you grew up in a fundamental, like religious Western church, which in my opinion, and I go to one, doesn't, isn't what, I don't think Jesus meant when he meant the church. But I do believe in the congregation of saints. However, there's something with that swath of people in cussing. Like if you, you know, it, th yeah. there's a guy that said this great saying once and he got up and he said, if you don't believe any of that's bullshit. And then he said, in his following sentence, there's about 50% of you people that just forgot the whole first thing I said because I just said the word shit. Yes. And they just go, oh, he cussed, I'm out. And I do believe there's a being a I've got a dirty mouth and I still do that with people. When I see someone cussing, oh, and I'm like, wait, you have a ter terrible mouth. I still but just be able to be yourself. But it's funny, the cussing thing, there is a thing with cussing and and people that grew up Christian. I mean, everybody like, can't be Presbyterian, but it's kind of a shame. It's you know kind what I mean? of a shame. If I grew up where you could say, I don't know what the hell that means and have a little bit of whiskey, I might not have to sit in a plastic <laughs> chairs on Tuesday. But it's funny because we I go to a Bible study on Friday with, with 12 dudes and they're just real. We don't, there's a lot of people say, I think, and that we get into the, I think. Great guys, so what I you know think, a lot of them, yeah. They're awesome, but we're just real. We read the Bible. We talk about real stuff, man stuff, and somebody can say, I don't know what the hell that means when we're referring to the Bible. And no one's trying to be crass. There's no women there. There's no little children. But the, the it's funny. There's some people that are like, do they cuss in the podcast? Okay, I'll watch it then. Which is bizarre. By the way, we're going to have- interesting that he would say that, but I think it's, it's a tell that you're going to be real. Yeah, because it's not about that and it's not about being crass and it's not about offending someone. And there are definitely times in my life where I was probably trying to offend somebody and just, re just rebel without a clue for sure. And, do that. and that is not the case. But there is residual personality that bleeds over into your new life when you're, I think this soul, your soul, are going to be the same soul in heaven. So this journey that we're taking, it does matter. It matters what we do. The decisions will have some kind of effect, but I think very, very little of what keeps us in and out of heaven is accurate that we have been spewing for all these years. Um, when when the preacher says, "I know really good people that are going to hell," I'm like, "Oh, don't don't say that, man. Stop early. Stop short of that. It's, you're gonna don't." I like to I like to always say to people because people have different opinions about. I mean, I'm religious people. I'm talking about right now, but. Glenn Beck always says on his program, do your own homework. Like, do your own homework. Like, literally do the work. Like, pick up the Bible, read what it actually says. L go listen to people talk. Use your own filter. Look up what a word means. Look up how many times it's been translated. Like, do your own homework. And when you find out that Christianity is about following the teachings of Christ, which means it's pretty simple. We were born, you know, People were born good and the world's trained her to be bad. It's like, no, 
I've done my homework. I've had four kids. At two, they had chocolate over their face. Did you eat the cake? No. They lie immediately. They bite their sisters. I just told them that yesterday. You don't have to teach them how to lie. No. <laughs> you don't teach them how to lie, steal, be sneaky, hide, whatever. It's like we're born sinners. And once you realize that you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to get forgiveness and you repent and there's somebody that paid the price for you and you accept that. And then that's there's justification and sanctification. And I've done my homework. Justification means, okay, I know I'm a sinner. I need help, right? Like when you said, I'm an alcoholic the first time. Hey, I, I struggle with alcohol. I'm afraid. First time I said I was afraid out loud. I mean, when I accepted that I was a sinner and that I needed God, I needed him. Like I knew it. That was justification. And then over the years, I'm being sanctified. And it's a process, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. So we try to make it more confusing than all that. And hey, don't cuss and don't drink or do drugs. Well, those are pretty good things. Those are good things. But if your heart's not, I know I'm a sinner. And when I drive the boat, I drive it in the ditch. And that. so if I don't do those three things, I can still kind of sneaky be greedy. I can be manipulative. I can lie. I can, you know, look at porn. Just There's all these little things no one knows about. All the things that are outward, like I'm not drunk. I don't do drugs. And I don't cuss. Yeah. So I'm a good Christian. Creating a good faith, yeah. I remember... Cole came to me once and said, hey, my, you know, friend's mom said I wasn't a good enough Christian. And right through that moment, I remember sitting down and saying, man, you're never going to be a good enough Christian. You're That's not, when my profanity comes out and I say, You're not her. good enough. <laughs> yeah, On your best day, you know, I, you're filthy rag. So it's like when you wrap your head around that somebody's done for you what you can't do for yourself. Yeah. And then you live in that humility and do your own homework. You'll figure out all the details. I can take someone saying that someone's not a good enough guy if they've whatever, but when we start judging the level of each person's Christianity, so we could get it down. Scott Hamilton said it when I, I talked to him a few weeks ago. He's fascinating. What an awesome guy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I love him. But he it broke, broke down. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Like not, not who can't love your friends and your brothers, whatever. Love your enemies. Like, man, everything, everything I believe politically, uh, Makes it hard to love your enemies. Everything the person I don't agree with. But like you said, to start this thing, uh, when when our parents and our neighbors who had completely different political beliefs really loved each other uh, and were great friends and it never got still in the way. Are. They got to, still are. The ones that are still alive are, are, are great friends. Never got in the way of their friendship and they could have a little disagreement and do it. And somehow, you know, probably because of technology and what's going on. Well, this on, country's made politics their religion. Yeah, yeah. It so, has. Yeah, we've all decided that whatever. If they knew who was pulling the string, there's two parties only. Yeah. Really? Yeah, they're both. I don't agree politically on every issue with my wife, much less my brother or my sister-in-law or my next-door yeah. neighbor. Yeah. So they, no. they isolate to get you to fight about things and raise money. And it's like we've concentrated. Well, if, if we could get Donald Trump in office— then the, the the Jesus work, will be back in And God will love us again. And then if we can get rid of Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> then the world will be better. And it's like, I could control me and Jesus's commandments to love one another and to love your enemies. And you know what? I'm still working on that. Oh. I got, when I'm really honest, I mean, I got mad at my kids last night because I told them to clean their rooms. They didn't. They graduated from high school and I yelled at them like, I shouldn't have to tell you to do this. And I kind of lost my cool and just, just yelled a little bit more than I should have. And I'm just thinking... You know, I was thinking to myself, all right, you know, this that's on that's that's me being fearful that somehow they're not gonna grow up and clean their rooms. I don't know what the fear is, but I've got enough to work on my own self. So when I do my own homework and I look at my own self, in the to quote the Bible, we always talk about Christians and, and the modern Western world, but it says, if my people 
called by my name, humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll heal their land. Yeah. Not if I get rid of- I gotta quit politics. fixing everybody else. I'm not gonna fix the politician. He, he specifically says, hey, you that say you're Christians, turn from your wicked ways and then I'll heal your land. So if our land's not being healed, yeah. Yeah. they don't read that a lot. It's on us. So I'm, I can only control me and I try to control other things. I didn't think I was a control freak, but no, I, I can, I can try to control too much and subtly do it. And, you know, I have some good qualities. I'm very giving and loving and I support my kids, but there's a, I have to back off. I have to, you had the greatest quote. I don't know how it starts, but about. There's a rope bridge between two mountains. Faith is, I have faith that that rope bridge will hold. Trust is walking your own butt across. Yeah, yeah, there's a yeah, yeah, rickety bridge between. And when I'm being cliffs, really yeah. honest, I have trouble trusting. So that's, I got enough to work on on myself. So when I start to get bogged down, refer back to your C.S. Lewis quote, he says in Mere Christianity, when you start to get bogged down in religion and theology and you stop loving each other, throw it all out and go love your enemy. Yeah, if, uh, by the way, the information is good. We grew up sponging the information. The information is good. Um, but but we have become, it says in the Bible not to worship the Bible. Like God is God. Not, we, we can worship the text or we can love your enemies. Mm -hmm. Like pick the hard ones. We all pick, I do too. I pick, I, I picked the God using the jackass because I want to cuss. You know what I mean? I just did it. Um, just, I didn't cuss. I just did it. It's like just now, <laughs> <laughs> like just now. But we pick what we want to pick and we learn a lot about that and we hammer on that, we expound, love your enemies. Because mm -hmm. that's, I can't think of a harder one to go, I mean, let me find the person I disagree with the least and let me love them. Super difficult. But then- doing your own homework. And that is, I tell my kids, sometimes loving somebody is creating a boundary for them. Sometimes loving somebody is telling your three-year-old, sorry, you can't stay up and have a Mountain Dew at 11 o'clock at night. Or you can't go out and play in the road. Or you know what? That's a path that's not gonna end up well for you. Hey, love them, let them do what they want. So then now, now you're into the wisdom part. Now you're into- When, when, the, when, the, when the parent said to Cole, you're, you're, not, you're not a good enough Christian. I don't have a problem with that parent saying to their son, be careful about who you choose your friends. We're not going to spend so much time with this person, whatever. By the way, your son's one of the most amazing people in my book uh, ever. So that's hideous quote. But if you, I think it's fine as a parent. But when you say it like he's not a good enough Christian, what you're looking for is more Eddie Haskell BS mm -hmm. to spew out of this person's mouth, not knowing what on earth they're like once they leave. I don't care. I can look in a kid's eyes and tell if I want them around my, my mm -hmm. family. It's very, very quick and easy with me. And it has very little to do with what kind of Christian they are, but more what kind of person they are. They're gonna develop their Christianity over their lifespan, not so much the 17 year old that's gonna say all the right things and speak in tongues. Not not interested in. And the, so, because these, I've always heard, you know, we went to Christian school for fourth grade through 12th grade church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday, youth group, all that. So a lot, I heard a lot of the stories, but when I actually delved into the text on, on my own, where um, I just had it in my head and I lost it. Oh good, because Matt wants us to take a break. Here's a short preview of what to expect from part two, debuting Tuesday, September 19th. You got the call. We're in the middle of a writing session and you came back in and you said, I got to go. Sage isn't breathing. And we've done everything together for years, but you said, I got to do this by myself. 
And I was like, all right, he's got to go do this. And he called me back, and you just said you weren't crying. You just said he didn't make it. You said a second ago that you believe that there's... That I'm going to see my son again. Right. Period. I told you not to cry. <laughs> hope deferred makes a heart sick. So we have the hope of glory that we will see that. And that is what keeps you going. 